Welcome to the Minor and Landis Immigration Update, the podcast that helps immigration professionals, foreign nationals, and their employers stay abreast of the shifting and complex regulations involving immigration law. Hi, I'm Lynn Walker, an immigration partner at Minor and Landis, here with this week's Immigration Update podcast. This week, we have some encouraging news to share with you from the ALIS Spring Conference, which was held on March 8th. ALA's annual spring conference provides a unique opportunity to hear directly from representatives of the agencies impacting U.S. immigration, including U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, or USCIS, U.S. Department of State, or DOS, U.S. Department of Labor, or DOL, U.S. Customs and Border Protection, or CBP, and U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, or ICE, I-C-E. The various agencies' representatives were very optimistic and shared proposed policy changes that would provide significant benefits for foreign nationals, their families, and employers. We sat through the more than eight hours of panelist discussions so that you wouldn't have to, and have brought you what we believe are the 21 most important news or policy points, which include, number one, USCIS is staffed at just 81%, with more than 4,000 adjudicative and administrative job openings, which is causing further delays in the timely processing of applications and petitions. It's important to note that during the COVID pandemic, the agency experienced a 20% decrease in its workforce. Number two, expansion of premium processing service will happen during fiscal year 2020 or before September 30th, 2022. Two, expansion of premium processing service will happen during fiscal year 2022 or before September 30th, 2022, and will be implemented in phases for Form I-140, I-539, and I-765, with pending cases being eligible for premium processing before newly filed cases. Number three, USCIS currently has 8.5 million cases pending but only considers 2.5 million of those cases as being backlogged because they are beyond the expected processing times. Number four, USCIS is changing the interview policy for benefits. So as a result, there will be fewer interviews for family-based I-485 and I-751 applications, and only those deemed to be risk-based will be interviewed. It's important to note that the agency did not define what the criteria was for determining whether a case is risk-based. In addition, the agency is expanding its video interviewing process, where USCIS officers at different field offices can interview applicants or beneficiaries located throughout the U.S., This is really important because it will help shift workflow so that offices that are typically more busy, such as New York City or Los Angeles, can shift their interviews to offices that are less busy. Number five, there will be new filing fees proposed and implemented this year. 
The rate of the fee increase will be dependent upon the amount of funding USCIS is able to secure from Congress. If USCIS is unable to receive the full amount of funding that it requests, then the fee increases will be substantially higher. Number six, USCIS is changing the telephone customer service process so that beneficiaries, applicants, and their representatives will be able to schedule an appointment approximately 15 to 20 days out with the USCIS officer to discuss their case. Now this is really, really important because when you call the 800 number now, you can request a callback, but there's no guarantee when the officer will call you back. You may be in the middle of work, driving your children to or from school or at a doctor's appointment where you can't take the call because it's either not confidential or safe. So this is a really positive step that USCIS is taking in order to provide services to applicants and beneficiaries as well as their representatives, especially in cases that are delayed because of the adjudicative backlogs. Number seven, USCIS is also enhancing its online portal so that beneficiaries, applicants, and their representatives can upload evidence in support of expedite requests. Number eight, which we believe is really important for employment-based cases, in particular, H-1B petitions. For the fiscal year 2024 H-1B cap, USCIS is working to upgrade its online portal so that H-1B petitions can be filed electronically. So what exactly does that mean? As you may be aware, many of the H-1B registrations will be filed in the first to second week of March. For fiscal year 2024, that will be sometime in March 2023. If the registration is selected, that would mean that employers and or their representatives would be able to file H-1B petitions online instead of preparing and filing paper-based petitions. The ability to file H-1B petitions electronically will provide a much more streamlined and faster process for employers and their attorneys. Number nine. USCIS is prioritizing employment-based I-485 applications between April and June 2022 to ensure that approvable cases are completed during fiscal year 2022 or before September 30th, 2022. This is to ensure that USCIS makes full use of all of the immigrant visa numbers that are currently available. Number 10, USCIS advised that the Form I-693 Medical Examination Report should not be filed with the Form I-485J Supplement when requesting interfiling. This is really important because we've received a lot of requests from our clients to submit their medical examinations along with their interfiling. USCIS has specifically requested that we not do this. 
Part of the issue is because USCIS is currently backlogged with interfiling requests. The agency only expected to receive about 1,000 requests per month. In reality, though, USCIS has been receiving upwards of 1,000 cases per week. There is now a substantial backlog of approximately 10,000 interfiling requests that need to be adjudicated between now and September 30th. Number 11, USCIS is looking into a policy that would allow non-immigrant visa holders to travel while their I-131 application for advanced parole is pending so that there is no abandonment issue or denial issue. As you may know, if you file your I-485 and travel outside of the U.S. before your I-131 is granted, USCIS takes the position that you have abandoned your application for adjustment of status. Now, the rule is different for individuals who currently hold H or L visa status. If you are an H or L visa holder, you are permitted to travel. However, if you travel before your I-131 is granted, USCIS will deny that application. And when you return to the United States, you will be required to file that application again. So this is a really important breakthrough if USCIS can indeed come up with a policy that allows individuals to travel while their I-131 applications are pending, considering it is taking well over nine months for USCIS to adjudicate these applications. So we're going to keep on top of this and we'll let you know if USCIS does in fact come up with a new policy. Number 12, the DOL experienced a significant increase in filings last year. And by increase, what we're talking about is a 23% increase in PERM applications filed, while applications for temporary work visas such as H-2A and H-2B nearly doubled. At the same time, there was no measurable increase in the DOL's budget, resources, or personnel. So you guessed it. This means that processing times have increased and will continue to do so until the DOL is able to hire more analysts to adjudicate these applications. Number 13. The DOL also confirmed that there is no short-term plan to update the Farmer Memo, which deals with roving employees for PERM applications. The DOL confirmed that a company must have some sort of physical location or address in order to be considered an employer for the purposes of filing a PERM application. This means that if a company is 100% virtual, meaning there is no brick or, and mortar location, the DOL will not consider such a company to be an employer for the purposes of filing a PERM application. Number 14, AILA has been working with USCIS to ensure that the new Form I-9 includes a more inclusive list 
of the documents that can be used for employment verification purposes. As of today, the proposed new Form I-9 only lists 19 documents in the instructions. However, AILA identified more than 39 additional documents that employers can use to verify whether an individual, foreign national or otherwise, is employment authorized in the U.S. This is another issue that we will keep on top of, and if in fact the new I-9 with its instructions are published with the additional 39 documents, we will be sure to bring that to your attention. Number 15. The virtual employment verification policy implemented as a result of COVID-19 will expire at the end of April. However, AILA expects that it will be extended. Keep in mind, however, that the virtual verification is only for remote employees. Those employees who work at the employer's location or offices need to have their employment authorization verified in person. It's really important to note that both HSI and ICE indicated that they do not at all like virtual employment verification. They believe that there is too much room for fraud, misrepresentation, or mistakes to occur. This leads us to believe that there will be substantial changes down the road. We just don't know what those changes will be and when they will happen. Again, since this impacts so many companies and foreign nationals, we will keep on top of this and publish updates as they become available. Number 16. DOS currently has about 420,000 backlogged immigrant visa petitions, which is a great improvement from last year when the backlog was about 560,000. Although the Department of State authorizes the waiver of non-immigrant visa interviews, it is up to the discretion of each embassy and consulate whether to implement the policy and how exactly to implement the policy. The DOS is also considering reinstituting the U.S.-based visa revalidation program and making it available to many non-immigrant visa holders. This was a fantastic program that was really cut back after September 11th and is currently only available to diplomats. The visa revalidation program allowed foreign nationals to renew their visas without leaving the United States. They were able to complete the visa application and mail their passport with proof of their status and the visa application to the Department of State in Washington, D.C., and the Department of State would issue a new visa to them. Considering what is happening and what has been happening with the U.S. embassies and consulates as a result of COVID and all of the restrictions and lockdowns, as well as the significant delays in visa issuance and the inability for many foreign nationals to secure a timely visa appointment, 
it would really be fantastic if the Department of State did in fact reinstitute the visa revalidation program. Number 18, the processing of TN2 visas has been consolidated to three embassies in Mexico, including Ciudad Juarez, Guadalajara, and Mexico City. The Department of State has indicated that this may become a permanent change, much like the way blanket L petitions are only processed at the U.S. Embassy in Chennai, India, for all of India. The DOS has also acknowledged that there has been an increase in 221G administrative processing, but did not offer any explanations as to the cause. Number 20. CBP confirmed that deferred inspections is non-jurisdictional. What this means is that a foreign national can go to the closest deferred inspection office to have their Form I-94 corrected, and they do not need to return to the deferred inspection office at the port of entry where they arrived. This is really important because many foreign nationals arrive at major international airports and then must drive to their home where there is a large distance between the port of entry deferred inspection office and the deferred inspection office closest to their home. During COVID, many deferred inspection offices were advising foreign nationals that they could not use the office closest to them, but had to return to the office at the port of entry where they arrived. And this caused great hardship for many foreign nationals because sometimes those locations were in different states. So this is a really great policy change on part of CBP. Finally, number 21, and this may be of the most significance to many foreign nationals and individuals who come to the United States using ESTA B1 or B2 visa status. As many foreign nationals who enter the U.S. in ESTA B1 or B2 status are aware, you are not allowed to work in the United States. However, there have been changes in the workforce and the way work is done and the way work is conducted as a result of COVID. And CBP is going to change its policy to take this into account. So what CBP told us during the conference is that they are working on an updated policy guidance that takes into account foreign nationals who enter the U.S. under ESTA, B-1, or B-2 visa status and work or perform employment services in the U.S. for an employer abroad. So this would include, for example, social media influencers and individuals who telework or work remotely. CBP says that a line has to be drawn Entering the U.S. in ESTA B-1 or B-2 status and working in the U.S. regardless of where a foreign national is paid is not permitted.
permitted. So in the next couple of months, we would expect to see some type of policy guidance on this issue from CBP. So that's all we have time for this week. The news that we received from the ALA Spring Conference gives us hope that the Biden and Harris administration will reform U.S. immigration policies to create a system that is fair and compassionate. We are, as always, very grateful to the dedicated staff at ALA whose tireless advocacy and litigation have encouraged the administration to take these positive and meaningful steps towards a better immigration system. As always, Minor and Landis will continue to closely monitor all immigration-related government operations and will publish updates as they become available. Thank you for joining us this week. Join us again next week when we'll have some more immigration-related updates for you. Disclaimer. The information contained herein is intended only for educational or informational purposes and is not a substitute for legal advice. Further, listening to this HR tip in no way establishes an attorney-client relationship between you and Minor and Landis LLP. Listeners should consult legal counsel for definitive advice regarding the current law and regulations and how those apply to your unique situation within your organization.